You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there and welcome to episode 27 of the Exhibitionist Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us. I am your host, Nicola Reader, and welcome to any new listeners we have joining us on the show today. Very shortly, we will be handing over to a conversation we had recently with Soraya Gadlarab and Janey Connolly from Montgomery. And they're talking about on the back of the speciality fine food show that they've just worked on, how as a sales manager and event director, they come together to help exhibitors meet their objectives. But before we get to that conversation, I am going to take a leap of faith and tackle the elephant in the room. And this is a question that we get asked frequently over the last few weeks and haven't really known how to answer. And yes, of course, that is the B word. So today is Tuesday, the 22nd of October, and we're around eight or nine days away from potentially leaving the EU on the 31st of October. But who knows what might happen. But this is the last podcast that we'll be releasing before that date of the 31st of October. So I thought I'd have a little look around and see what people were saying in the industry about Brexit and any potential impact it might have on the events industry and exhibitions more specifically. Now, before I say any more, I am just quoting some things that I found on the internet, sharing a bit of opinion. So please don't go and plan your whole 2020 trade show campaign around what I'm about to say in the next five or 10 minutes and then come and sue me if it goes horribly wrong. This is just a little bit of information. The best advice I will have for you is talk to the experts who really know the answers. But I guess from everything that I've read in terms of Brexit, there are two really big impacts on exhibitions and events firstly it would be about just the exhibition itself and that ease of movement of people and kit to get to an exhibition and the second thing would be about servicing a market post-Brexit if you're going to go and exhibit somewhere within the EU and I guess really the whole impact of Brexit will be felt by UK-based exhibitors who are potentially going to shows in the EU and looking to service markets in the EU but it might also have an impact on international companies outside of the EU area who are looking to import and establish themselves in the UK or maybe who even have exhibition kits on the continent that they use across a number of shows in Europe and are looking to use that in the UK next year, there might be some changes to how you operate to bring that kit into the UK. So I guess the first big thing to look at is that ease of movement of people and goods and uh, equipment around the continent and around outside of the UK. And I came across an article by Astro Exhibitions written by Tom Oakes, who um, they work in the shipping and logistics area and stand building area. And um, we're talking about um, transportation really being one of the big issues and the increased time that it may take at ports to get things through. Um, Things may be delayed because of that backlog of getting things through ports and airports and various other places including yourself. So that's just something to think about. We would always advocate to clients we work with, giving yourself as much time as you possibly, possibly can to plan an exhibition. But certainly if you're thinking about taking your exhibition abroad in in 2020 um, and you need to move some kit through the ports, then think about extending the time that you would usually give yourself um, for that. Now, if you're working with a freight forwarder or a stand builder, hopefully they will build in that extra time to the plan for you. But as an exhibitor, it really is your responsibility if you can just make sure with them that they've built that extra time in. Equally, if you're sending literature and giveaways by a delivery by a courier to go to the venue that you're going to be exhibiting at, that might take longer time and it's a courier's responsibility. There's not You're not there checking on them. Um, so just again, make sure that they have plenty of time. And when I mention about getting yourself there, well, we pass through EU airports really easily and quickly these days. So if you're thinking, yeah, I can land at the airport at nine o'clock, I can be at the venue for 10 o'clock and set up and ready to go. Actually, that you might just find it's a little bit longer to get through those EU airports. So maybe think about coming in the night before or just giving yourself a little bit more time to actually arrive than you would have done previously in case you get caught up at customs yourself. 
One other thing you could think about is if you're doing a lot of European shows, if you're moving from country to country or show to show on the continent, maybe think about storing your stand over there. It could be easier than bringing it back to the UK and getting caught up in any of those customs delays. So that might be an idea for you. Um, the other thing, big thing to think about is admin and paperwork. So obviously now we move fairly seamlessly our kit and equipment around the EU um, and that might become more difficult based on tariffs, visas, certificates, documentation, legislation, all those sorts of things might change. And one of the things I picked up from Exhibit City News, uh, they'd been writing an article last month about the ATA Carnet system, which hopefully will be some sort of collaboration between the World Customs Organization and the World Chambers Federation, which may permit the movement of goods in and out of a country without tariffs if they're going to come back out again within a year. So obviously that works brilliantly if you're taking a product or samples or anything to exhibit and you're moving it back out of that country within a year's time. You should be able to manage that through the ATA Carnet system, but the Chamber of Commerce is the place where you can get more information and purchase that from. So I think those are probably the main things that are going to affect exhibitors um, going out to events in the EU or even um, international exhibitors bringing things from the EU into the UK, logistics and documentation. Thinking about how you service the market afterwards, well, we've got a client at the moment who's going through some regulatory compliance on a product that they're launching into the medical market. Um, and at the moment, there's a set of rules that apply to them based on EU membership. They're looking at going to EU or European conferences and exhibitions next year. But actually, in this brave new world, potentially, their product may not be licensed in those new markets. And therefore, is that exhibition still the right place for them to be at? Is that the right market for them to be trying to service if they've then got more legislation and more certification to go through that could take a couple of years before they can actually sell their product? So that might just make you think about how and where you're going to exhibit next year. And again, any tariffs and documentation. So is the product that you supply likely to be subject to any tariffs going into the EU next year? And what do you need to make customers in that market aware of? You may have had a pricing strategy all planned for 2020, but actually if you suddenly got to start applying new tariffs to that and new costs for documentation and customs declarations, does that all add to the cost for the, the client and the pricing strategy? And again, just logistics and timelines in servicing that market. So where previously you might have said you can get a product to them fairly quickly, does that timescale change now? And do you need to make them aware of the realities of when that product's going to be available? So it maybe all sounds a little bit doom and gloom, but, but it isn't. We are, of course, still going to trade with Europe and the rest of the world in whatever shape or form that looks like after Brexit. And um, export continues to be a fantastic opportunity for so many countries. And if you've got products and services that you know can sell around the world, then Brexit happening shouldn't stop anybody from doing that. It's, it's a great opportunity, I think. And I'm not making any political comment about whether I support or don't support that. But there are still great opportunities to get out and trade with the world. I think the only things I would say to you are the exhibitions are going to be different post-Brexit. And there are going to be things we're all going to have to think about differently, even just getting delegates here to events in the UK from around the world. So it's going to be different for all of us. But what are the things that we can be doing? Well, definitely creating more time for planning for, for you and your logistics partner and your visitors and people you want to see. Just give everybody as much time as you possibly can to make sure that you've ticked all those boxes. Thinking about all those contingencies, so maybe more thought about, well, what happens if my product and my, my stand does get delayed at a port somewhere? What have I got in my back pocket that I could use instead? How can we minimize the impact, minimize the risk of any of those potential delays that we might, might face? So more stringent contingency planning. Being really honest about the follow-up and how quickly things can get done with anybody you're meeting. Things are going to change, so talking to visitors and talking to um, potential new clients about how quickly you might be able to service their market. And really just keep talking. I think for all of us who've been caught in this Brexit paralysis for three or four years, actually what we wanted was just communication for people to tell us what was happening. So I think the more you can talk to customers after that and, and let them know what's happening and where you're up to and what any implications are on your business and your servicing of them, then that will help and just keep talking. So I, did, I didn't want to let the opportunity pass without mentioning Brexit at all. It would feel like we were shying away from it. I am certainly no Brexit expert and um, uh, 
please don't take my word as gospel. Please go and do your own research. There are great resources at the Chamber of Commerce, at the Department for International Trade, at your exhibition organisations, trade associations, wherever you are in the world. So please seek counsel from them. And Freight Forwarders, the official Freight Forwarder for whichever show you're working on, will be a fantastic source of help and support in terms of telling you exactly what you need to do. So please go and speak to those people um, but don't panic. It, it will give you great opportunities and it shouldn't stop anybody from doing some fantastic exhibitioning in 2020. So that said, we will move on to our chat today, which, as I mentioned, is with Soraya and Jamie. So we'll pass you over to that night, that now and hope you enjoy the chat. So on this week's episode of the Exhibitionist podcast, we are delighted to be speaking to Soraya Gadlerab, uh, the Portfolio Director for Montgomery, and Jamie Connolly, who is Commercial Manager at Montgomery. So Soraya, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for having me too. Brilliant. So just so our listeners uh, get to know a little bit more about you, Soraya, we'll start with yourself. Do you want to give us a little bit of background on your um, career in events and your current role? Yeah, of course. So um, I actually joined the Montgomery business near 14 years ago and back then um, I was a commercial manager on the IFE exhibition so I've kind of gone through the business over that 14 years and what's what I'm kind of privileged to have been involved in is um, some kind of role on almost all of the events in the um, food drink and hospitality portfolio which I am now running so I then became an event manager ran the specialty and fine food fair for a number of years and then as event director took over the Scott Hot and IFEX events which are hospitality events in, in Scotland and Northern Ireland and now <clears throat> my portfolio consists of all of the food drink and hospitality events which Montgomery run including IFE the biggest food and drink event in the UK HRC, which is the biggest hospitality event, which was uh, previously known as Hotel Olympia, Speciality and Fine Food Fair, which we all know and love, um, IFEX, as I mentioned, in Belfast, and Scott Hot in Glasgow. So I have quite a lot to keep me going. Um, all of those events fall under my uh, direction, so lots to manage, um, but keeps you busy. Brilliant. Yeah, def- definitely a busy lady by the sounds of it there. And... Um, <laughs> Jamie, your background and current role? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently the commercial manager um, working specifically on, on speciality and fine food fair. So quite a, quite a responsibility in looking after all, I suppose, all endeavours which are attributed to this amazing event. Very, very proud to be part of the speciality kind of family. Um, my background, I studied English literature at uh, university, uh, flirted with the idea of becoming a lawyer, um, which, <laughs> which, which I avoided. Um, and then I kind of embarked on a career in, in the event space, um, fortuitously, really. Um, quite an extensive background in terms of some of the industries I've worked in. I uh, worked in defence and security um, and worked in one of the biggest defence shows uh, in, in, in the world. Um, then obviously had a bit of a, a sampling of the oil and gas space. Um, I also had two years at a startup in the prop tech space, so property technology, which was fantastic. Learned an awful lot from that in terms of myself, my ambitions, you know, running a business, etc. Um, and now I've uh, been with Montgomery for just a few years. Um, so again, quite an extensive um, events background, but loving life here and very much loving my role on speciality. Brilliant. So a, a really wide sector background there, which is, um, which is interesting. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more as we progress. But just um, to get us in the mood for some exhibitions, can you tell us what your favourite show has been to work on so far and why? So like one individual show in one year rather than just saying, yeah, I love all the specialty fine food. What was the one show you've done that's been brilliant and why? Well, I have to be careful because if I pick one of my shows, everyone's going to be jealous that I've just my favourite child. So it's a bit of a, a difficult one. But I think I think I can I think I can be honest here. Um, you know, I, I genuinely do love all the events that I look after. They're all in the food and drink and hospitality space, which is an incredible um, industry to be a part of. Um, but I think my personal favourite um, event was the launch of Speciality and Fine Food Fair in Asia in Singapore. Um, Speciality is such a beautiful event here in London. There's an incredible community of passionate um, suppliers who are part of that, mixed with these beautiful uh, independent retail buyers who come to find what's new and exciting and and how can you not love being a part of Speciality and Fine Food Fair? 
But for me, taking all of that and trying to replicate it in a completely different um, geographical location, different cultures, different palette, different um, buying cycles. So it was a really exciting opportunity for me to take this beautiful model of an event, but just help to tailor it for the market it's um, moving to. So I learned lots about the Singaporean um, food, drink and hospitality world, launched a pub, bar and restaurant event next to it because that's such a vibrant um, part of the industry over there. And it just was beautiful to look at something that I know very well, but through a different set of eyes in a different location. So for me, I think that's got to be the one special, the launch of Speciality and Fine Food Fair Asia. Brilliant. And Jamie, what for you? I think um, this is this is a tough one, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I kind of want to, I want to, and I have to say, speciality. And I, I'm, you know, working on it for, for two years now. It is generally a wonderful show to be part of. You, you'd go into that show, even if you weren't working on it, left um, with a sense of pride and, and just to kind of see all the international exhibitors, the heritage, the credibility, the premium products, very artisanal. What's nice also is that it's a lot of the small producers, they're, they're startups. And, and again, you know, leaning back towards my, my background, I worked in a startup for two years. So again, le- learning to build a bit of rapport and understand their ambitions and their aspirations and, and taking a shot at something. I think that's been a real privilege to be part of a speciality. Um, similarly, when I was um, involved in the oil and gas space, we launched um, small conferences um, across Europe, and, and I launched one on modular construction um, and prefabrication. Uh, and again, it was it was something that I didn't really know too much about to begin with, but got to know some 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 you know quite quite friendly Dutch companies, and and uh, we launched a, a launched a conference over there. Which again, it was small team myself, a content producer and an ops manager, and, and there was a lot kind of riding on our shoulders, and it was a real big success. It went on then to launch across other European cities and then over into North America. So I'd probably put those two on, on a similar a similar pegging. Okay, brilliant. Well, great to get to know you both a little bit better through that. I'm sure our listeners have got now a better understanding of kind of your background and, and where you guys are from. And we've been talking quite a lot on the podcast recently about um, the balance between transaction and collaboration in the event industry. And I think there's some feeling that some event organisers um, – sometimes only look at things from a transactional point of view. And um, I think there's a a really fair challenge that says some exhibitors feel like they buy space and then expect the event organisers to do the rest of the hard work for them. Um, So I guess we're really interested in your views on how do you feel the industry is developing in terms of balancing that transactional and and, and collaboration? Obviously, you buy a space, you have to sell space. That's what you've got to do. How do you feel we're evolving? What position do you think we're at with that balance at the moment? Well, I think... um in my opinion, I think it's absolutely intrinsic that the transaction and collaboration go hand in hand. I think we're very fortunate to work for an events company that has been running since 1895. It's always been a privately owned business and it's always been a family business. And I think that goes through everything that we do. Decisions made here at Montgomery are never just about the bottom line. You know, We can't shy away from the fact that we are a commercial business and we need to be successful. But for us, it's about a long-term sustainable business and that follows through to everything in the event. So you cannot have a sustainable future of the business unless you are working collaboratively for the success of the suppliers that you're working with. So I think for us, it's very much comes down to that first interaction with anybody at the team here in Montgomery. If somebody contacts the team here and says, I'd like to book a stand at XYZ show, the sales team are trained never just say, yep, sure, let me take your money. Thanks very much. Goodbye. The first thing they do is find out everything they possibly can about that company, their products, what they're trying to achieve, who they're targeting. And, you know, once we've been through that, sometimes we'll say, do you know what? I, I don't think this is actually the right event for you. I think perhaps you're not ready for it or it's not the audience. And we don't shy away from, from telling people that maybe it's not the right place. We won't just take stand bookings for the sake of of that but but on top of that i think we then invest very heavily once once we find an exhibitor is right is the right profile for the show and the show is the right fit for the exhibitor it's about working with them make sure they have the most successful show so we recently employed um i say recently it's probably nearly two years ago now a year and a half or so 
We now have in place the customer success manager whose responsibility is to contact every single exhibitor at our event, check they um, know what they need to do, check that they're prepared, check that they've done their marketing and maximised all the opportunities we've given them, highlight any competitions or awards we're running, but basically hand-holding them and taking them through the whole process from booking stand to what you need to do on site to what you need to do to follow up. And I think for us as a business, Customer care and customer success are so important to us that it comes from the top down through everything we do. And it's one of the things we talk about a lot when we're interviewing people joining the business. We put a huge emphasis on customer care and customer relations. And that's where we sort of prioritise in terms of skills to uh, when new people are coming into the business. Mm. And do you agree, Jamie? I completely agree. I think kind of surprise probably reference a lot of things that I would uh, probably bring up in, in answer to that question. Uh, Nicola, and uh, there are two words I kind of made a note of mentally. It was kind of passion and communication. I think across across Mongolia, you can see there's a real passion from everybody involved here, no matter what role they play. Um, the real passion for the industry that we work in, whether you know the food and drink and, and wide hospitality space. Um, personally, I consider myself um, very very passionate towards towards this market. I am um, again, I draw on my background in working for a startup, knowing the lengths and the hard work some of these companies go to to find the right event and then put a lot of money and energy forward and then they need to get something back. Um, so I think having the, the, the correct approach, but also having a shared passion for the industry and the event we work on is, is paramount. I think that's that's here in, in abundance uh, across the wider team. And that word, I think communication, I think it's so, it's so important to have clear communication with every single exhibitor, every single client we speak to very, very early on, you know, set out objectives, set out um, expectations. Um, and really kind of understand what it is they're looking for. And I think one one choice of phrase I like to, 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 to use on the phone or at a meeting or having a coffee is, we both have an obligation here. We both have an obligation to, to make this work. So how does how does that successful event, how does that look for you? So what are you kind of looking to come away from? And more often than not, that starts with, um, you know, a good stand location, the right buy. But actually, more often than not, it's the customer care that Soraya mentioned also. It's, it's a hand-holding to a degree. It's like they're not left to their own devices. They have our expertise and our advice available to them throughout the entire campaign, not just the three days of the event, but pre, during, and even after the show as well. So. And I think the on-site part there, I think it's something that I'd like to think I'd, I'd like to think we do well. We have um, an event support team at every single one of our shows. So every one of the team has sort of somewhere between 30, 35 exhibitors that they look after personally for the duration of the show. And that means going round and introducing themselves during build-up. Got any issues? You know, if your electrics aren't working, let me let you, let me help you sort out why that's not working. Help all of the sort of setup. Give advice. We've We've been there helping exhibitors build their uh, IKEA furniture on their stands. We've helped them unload cars. Yeah. So we, we do what we can during build-up to get them ready. And, and if that just means there's somebody on their own, they've done 10 trips to the truck to unload and they're exhausted, one of the team will run off and get them a cup of coffee or a drink or just those little things that we can do to make easier especially for first-time exhibitors who've never done this before and then throughout the open period of the show that same member of the team still looks after that um patch of exhibitors that are every single day walking around the area if you need anything at all i'm here to help sometimes exhibitors don't know the best way to pitch sometimes they don't know to ask for feedback and again the team are really well versed in sort of you know advising consulting them to make sure that they are doing everything they can and i think that's one of the things we feel very passionate about. It's not just about bringing them to the show. It's about bringing them to the show and making sure we give them every single tool we possibly can to have the most successful event. And it's really refreshing to hear that that kind of filtering process happens with people who are ringing up to say, we might want to book a stand and it's actually, you know, this isn't the, the right show for you. One of the things I wanted to pick up on, which I thought was really interesting, Jamie, from yourself, is about this kind of mutual obligation. And we certainly don't shy away from saying to exhibitors, it is not the event's responsibility for you to have a good show. You have to take some of that responsibility yourself. They, they can get people there, but how you engage with those people, how you filter those people, how you develop the right proposition that those visitors want to buy, that's down to you. The event itself can't manipulate that. So in terms of an exhibitor obligation, what, what do you think the exhibitor's obligation is? What is it that they need to kind of deliver from their part to have a successful yeah. show? 
Yes, I, I, I love talking about this because it, it's where it's an area that we should be constantly looking, you know, for, for strive for improvement and and you know better end results for for all involved. Um, and I think you know having a really good understanding and, and a level of communication as as possible in in your working relationship is is absolutely paramount. And I think first and foremost we have to set our expectations. We would love to work as closely as possible with every single one of our like 700 producers and exhibitors. We would love to do that and, and take that very bespoke um, approach, but we, we can't, and, and that's physically impossible. However, the more information they provide us um, throughout the entire campaign, I think the more we can uh, react accordingly to that. So, for example, are you launching a new product that worth sharing to our PR team? Uh, have you just secured a, a new buyer? Um, what sets you apart? What's your, what's your background? What kind of background can you draw upon that would make uh, which interests our wider community. Um, have you got previous experience of a trade show? What didn't work for you so we can avoid that? What did work for you so we can get a lot more of our attention in our proposal for this year on those things that are working? There are so many, we, we tend, if we can, tend to work to a bit of a, a mental script in terms of ask, asking these questions. But I just think if there's a level of honesty and, and transparency and a real desire to understand what they're looking to do, um, I, I, think that's, I think that's a really good starting point. Um, and I, I, I constantly say to exhibitors, if anything good happens, any good news stories, please share that with us. If we start learning about it, if we start using our extended marketing and, and, and PR resources, again, we're a community of, of you know, constant learn and, and constant kind of um, looking after and, and helping out your peers, particularly within, within this quality food and drink space. So the more information they provide us, I think we're able to affect a much better solution in the long run. Yeah, it's definitely that collaborative approach and, and knowing why you're exhibiting in the first place that gives an event team half a chance of helping you actually achieve that. So, um, so Raya, I just wanted to ask you, we, um, when we're often talking to exhibitors, I'll say, well, all a portfolio director or an event director is interested in is selling space and getting the money back on renting that hall and there's nothing else that they're interested in. So I know that's very different, but what are your key priorities for delivering a brilliant event? I think, I mean, like I said, we don't, we don't start from the bottom line. Yes, the bottom line has to be healthy, but it, it it's not a starting point for anything. Our starting point is always understanding the communities we're working within. So in the case of Speciality and Fine Food Fair, you know, we've got two, two communities, if you like. We've got suppliers of Speciality and Fine Food, got buyers of speciality in fine food. So for us, it's about getting out there in the industry, talking to them, understanding what are buyers looking for? Are they looking for heritage you know, products that are sort of best of British? Or are they looking for the next new thing? We need to understand what our buying community wants, and then we need to match that with what our supplying community can bring. So it's about getting right under the skin of the industry you're working within. You know, I've been judging Great Taste Awards for the last seven or eight years. I've judged the Quality Food Awards. I go to so many different events around the world, whether it's food and drink events or hospitality um, networking. And it's becoming part of the industry rather than a supplier to the industry who essentially just wants to come and sell to you, take your money, and off you go. We need to be part of the world we, we operate within. And that's why the way we're set up at Montgomery, you know, we do have an art, art division, we have infrastructure, we've got building, but we work within divisions. And the division that I head up is all food, drink and hospitality. So I've been working in this for 14 years and feel, yes, I work in the events industry, but I also am part of that food and drink community. And it starts from there and then delivering solutions that actually suit their objectives rather than delivering solutions which essentially help their bottom line mm. if you do it right the two go hand in hand and you have a long-term sustainable future yeah absolutely and jamie from the commercial side what would you say your kind of key priorities are in delivering a brilliant mm. event um so i suppose the first key priority that i again made a mental note of is making sure we've got the perfect blend of exhibitors so the perfect blend of exhibiting companies and partners and sponsors to really excite, entice our buyers and our and our visitors, and just to show that we are we're a show that really understands our messaging, understands our narrative, understands our community. So I think for me that's that's a real kind of starting point. You know, 
the show over the last few years has had a kind of a curation process, making sure we are working with the right brands, which kind of, I think, you know, look after both needs, both the, the events, but also the, the exhibiting company in question. And so I think that's a starting point. So the perfect blend of, of exhibiting companies to, to kind of represent, you know, the showcasing of, of perfect produce. Um, and then also something I, I, I've looked to put a bit more attention to the last year is, is um, applicable um, and new sponsors and partners, which may not have worked across the show previously that can add additional value to all involved. Um, again, that's perfect for, obviously it contributes on a commercial front if you're looking at the new sponsors, um, but it's another chance for us to really further enhance the speciality brand when we've got a new partner or a sponsor that have never really worked with us before, uh, which are heavy hitters, which are industry pioneers, which are kind of you know paving the way for, for greater you know trade success, for example. Um, and I just think this year is an example of speciality. We had uh, a company that offered kind of tax relief for producers. In fact, we've worked with some of our previous exhibitors in the past um, at, you know, looking after their, their, their own commercial needs by showing them to be innovative and therefore getting a tax rebate, which they can put straight back into further product development in terms of chocolate ingredients for this particular uh, company in mind. Um, so for me, that's that's two of the key priorities that I try and keep front and centre. So a really exciting blend of, of the correct exhibitors um, and also some exciting new partnerships and sponsors to bring in every single year as well. It's really interesting to hear you guys say that. And um, I think, as you pointed out, sorry, within the Montgomery family, there's, there's different divisions, you know, so you can focus on the industry. And when we work with different event organisers across different industries, very rarely does a trade show happen because somebody thinks, I can make loads of money out of this really easily. It's about actually there's a gap here to bring suppliers stakeholders visitors customers clients everybody in the industry together to kind of shine a spotlight on that industry for a, day, a few days facilitate some better conversations and everybody grows as a result of that and it's kind of that basis that i think a number of shows are built on rather than somebody going oh yeah this is a get rich quick scheme because exhibitions are very rarely that yeah. Well, I don't think we've been around since 1895 because we had a get-rich-quick scheme because I don't <laughs> think very long if we had. But, but, but I think it, it's, it's, as you said, it's about people with common objectives working together to achieve those goals. And as soon as people understand that's what we're all trying to achieve, it's almost like the sum of two halves is greater than the whole. We can all do it individually, but if we do it together, we will all have better success. And I think, um, just to, sorry to draw, just to add to that as well is... Um, that word collaboration that's already kind of come up in in um, in, in this conversation. Um, from my first specialty last year, after the show, you learned about how certain um, exhibiting companies in our discovery zone, which is just for newer uh, newer newer brands, they started working together after the show, and that wouldn't have come about unless they'd been part of that same journey, that same campaign, that same edition last year round, and um, they they benefited from it from an individual brand perspective. But the feedback we've gotten is that they've really developed and really kind of harnessed their market share just by working together. So collaboration is again is, is the why Absolutely. it's the why we do it. It's the why we, we put on our show every single year come September. We want these guys to collaborate, to work together and us all improve and, and you know advance in some capacities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's great to hear you as an organisation do so much on behalf of exhibitors and um, the support and the customer experience and the value that you add around that. What do you think exhibitors could be doing better themselves to get a greater, stronger return from your events and to really take advantage of all the things that you're providing for them? Yeah, I think, I think um, okay, we can all look at what a traditional trade show. A traditional trade show is a meeting space for the suppliers and the buyers. But in 2019, I think that people, as people visiting events want a little bit more than just a traditional trade show. So I think the word experience is probably the direction we're going in. People want to go and source new products but they want to enjoy it. They want to feel like it's day out, want to learn something new. They want to feel like they're educated in what's new and what's on trend and what's going to be the trend next year. So it's about how we as organisers, but also the exhibitors, deliver experiences. So as the organisers, we put on you know, content, whether that's in the form of seminars, workshops, chef demos, that's all part of the experience. Now, I went to an event last week um, in, in fact, this week, Maastricht in Holland called BBB. And I have to say, it was a really refreshing um, event to attend because I feel like they experienced down to perfection. From everything the organiser did, from your entry, when the show opened, glitter cannon went off, there was music, dim lighting. So it was a really nice atmosphere. 
moving images of trees and birds singing on the wall. So you really felt like, yes, I'm going to a trade show, but this feels day out. But what I loved about it is you could see how well they had worked with every single supplier in that hall. So the suppliers were also delivering experiences. So within about 15 minutes of me being in that event, I'd collected a postcard from one person, posted it somewhere else, which would mean that the tree was being planted in my name. I'd then gone to another stand where they had a set hospitality set up and some cameras and you kind of went and posed and then you had this cool gift that was emailed to you within three seconds. And, and you know, it really spoke into every exhibit. What is it you're trying to achieve? Let's do something, some kind of activation, something more than I'm selling gin. It was all interactive, and and I met the organizer, and I said, wow, you know, these exhibitors are really engaging. And he said, we have spent years working with them, talking to them to get them to all understand this. The more they interact, it felt like being in a hall full of friends, and I'd never been there before in my life, but everyone was interacting with you. And I think the thing there, though, that can potentially scare exhibitors off is you think, well, well, that's all well and good for the big brands. They can afford to spend money on fancy activations. We're just a small company, especially in an event like Speciality and Fine Food Fair, where we've got so many startups. But there are ways of doing it. So there's a lady who was selling a caramel liqueur. That's all she was selling. But actually, her stand was, her stand was set out with the beautifully designed um, dining table with four place settings with the small shot glasses and the bottle in the table. Now, I didn't know what she was selling at first. I could just see this beautiful setup and it wouldn't have cost her very much. It was a dining table with four place settings. But what she did is instead of having a, sh a shelf, which was just full of her bottles of fuel, she set the table because it's supposed to be a digestive. So she wanted people to see it in situ, how you drink it at home or at a dinner party. And that wasn't expensive for her to put together, but it just took it away from being a shelf full of product to something where I can picture myself drinking this product. And I think it's about being creative and thinking about how you can bring your products to life and interact with the audience without it breaking the bank. So that's that's my piece of advice. <laughs> oh, no, that's very nice. <laughs> I think um, for me, there's also having the back of your mind, having something that's really going to, wow, we want something memorable every single edition of the show. We have, we have a real opportunity. And again, I refer to speciality because it, it takes you know, a, lot of, a lot of my time and, 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 uh, and efforts. But we have this this gathering of, of three of days in September, and it's in everyone's diaries, nice and early. Um, but for me, we have a real obligation, particularly we just had our show, so we're already we're looking into 2020 and all these exciting new plans and developments and things to consider. We need to have that. We need to have a wow factor. We need to have the what's new? What are you introducing next year? What's what's unexpected? What's going to be the talking point throughout the entire campaign? You know, is it a new partnership that's allowing us how? A touch point outside of our confined, confined space of Olympia in September is it something we're looking to do as a seasonal pop-up or a seasonal activation. So things like this really interest and excite me is to let's put something out that people are just not expecting from our community. And Dariah mentioned the word experience and experiential. We all know these words, but putting them into what has historically been just regarded as a trade show is a real opportunity for us. You know, people consider Traders maybe not as being as engaging as some consumer shows. I disagree. I completely disagree. I think we have, again, I use that word opportunity. We have that in full knowledge of appoint the right partnerships, if we work with the right regional pavilions, if we work with the right international partners of ours, we can do bust out on small little pockets across our entire show. Whether it's something like a sensory zone where you're engaging people with you know, blindfolded, blindfolded tastings and what have you, there are so many opportunities for us to continue working towards each edition, and I'm uh, really looking forward to 2020. <laughs> and it's brilliant to hear those examples of bringing things to life in a way that's relevant for you. And I think some people might say, oh, yeah, but it's really easy in food and drink. You can, you know, you can create smells and tastes and sounds. But um, we've shared today on LinkedIn an example from, I think it's a construction show, where there was a, a barking dog outside a window, but the window was a TV screen and some, somebody was pretending to open the curtains. And then the, woman, the bloke behind it was naked and singing, but it was part of a, a building construction show. <laughs> And it was just this kind of, you know, you group with these curtains opening, somebody singing behind it, half naked, dog barking in the garden. And it's like, oh, that's what our home's like. And this is what our glass is doing as part of that home, as part of that window. <laughs> okay. 
that I, I don't know all the details, but it's just one that really caught your eye straight away. And it's like, there is something relevant, even if you're in building or fenestration or nuts and bolts or, you know, widgets, there is something interesting about and relevant about your product that you can bring to life in an unusual and engaging way. So I, I love those examples. <laughs> And I think something to touch upon there is, again, it's memorable and it's a bit of fun. And, and I think if you can look to inject a little bit more into that across a show that's, you know, three days long, I think you're, you're onto a winner. So I, I, love, I love the idea of that. <laughs> so um, you're obviously just passionate and excited, both of you, about everything to do with exhibitions, which is brilliant. But is there anything, any developments in the industry at the moment, be it technology or through sustainability or skills development or anything happening going on that you think, you know, God, I'm, I'm really excited and I can't wait to see what happens with that? And I think it's really back to this experiences thing. I think there are still many events and some of ours included. So this isn't about us doing everything right. You know, are still traditional trade shows, but actually the more of an experience we can create from them adding in all of those networking and educational elements, as well as the engagement with the exhibitors, the more everybody will see the events industry as something that, that is essential to be a part of. So I think, you know, there was a time where people thought, oh, the rise of the internet, well, you're not going to have a need for exhibitions anymore because I can buy everything online. That's true, but you can't touch, taste, smell, um, feel, just talk to, the, talk to the supplier, talk to the producer and understand everything. So there's still something to be said for face-to-face, there's something to be said for people meeting people. But actually, let's just make that much more meaningful for 2020 and beyond instead of just a two-by-two stand, a six-by-four stand. What are we doing? We're having many interactions with different people, with different products, with different education, with different experiences. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes you can just do something because it's fun and it's nice to do. Not everything has to have a business angle. And I, I really stand by that. It's important because they're the things that will be memorable and will make people think, do you know what? I had such a great day out. I'm going back next year. Absolutely. And I think um, one thing that really excites me is the constant the constant need to develop and innovate, which is really coming through. I think that's regardless potentially of what industry you work in, but obviously we're privy more to to food and drink so it's that, it's that constant striving for you know seeking excellence or seeking an improvement of the product category you that you own and you understand and, and you're pushing boundaries low no alcoholic drinks for example you know it's, it's not necessarily new but it's it's interesting it's it's being almost kind of conscientious to to a market to a new generation and it, again it's 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 leading sales in that regard um Food of the future, kind of a friend of mine launched a, launched a business that's kind of purely plant-based. Again, nothing new, but it's, again, it's taking a lot more attention away now from, from the market for, for good reason. Um, vertical farming, something that, again, really intrigues me personally. And sustainability. I think sustainability is going to be at the very core um, of our, how our show, and I'm sure many, many others, can develop, learn, and, and, um, and promote their own um, I suppose they wrote their own thoughts about where the industry and where the event should go. So, yeah, for me, what I'm really excited about is the it's the the constant innovation, the, the, always the new brands and new products that we have knocking on our door. And, and again, something that means a lot to me is sustainability. So you you mentioned their sustainability, which is often talked about as um, a really big challenge for us as an industry. Anything else in terms of challenges that you think we're facing over the next five years? Well, let's not shy away from the B word. (laughs) Um, I couldn't say for a second that the events industry or the food and drink industry are the only industries to be affected by it. But I do think the amount of uncertainty out there is really having an impact on the event sector throughout. If there are uh suppliers looking at potentially entering the uk market now's probably not going to be the time they're going to take that decision if you've got people who have been interacting with the uk market maybe it's their strongest market yet maybe they're going to focus elsewhere so i think it's unfortunate from an international inward direction for suppliers or buyers the uk market just isn't everybody's focus um quite understandably we need a decision whatever that decision is so that we can then move forward that said, I also do think it can create opportunities and we're seeing some of that coming through with um, some of the um, nations outside of Europe that we haven't traditionally worked with who might um, who are now looking at the UK market as somewhere that perhaps will be looking to, for supply chains outside of Europe. So there could well be upsides. The problem is nobody knows anything. So until we have some certainty, it's going to be tough. <laughs> 
of the Brexit thing, you're absolutely right. I'm just going to quantify with that by saying we're recording this on the 10th of October. So at this point, we do not yet know when this goes out, we might have had a decision <laughs> or the fingers crossed. But yeah, absolutely, at this point in time, the, um, the uncertainty is, is really difficult for so many businesses. Exactly, and I uh, I also made a made a note of that awful B word, so I won't I won't spend too much time um, <laughs> focusing on that. I one other thing I just made a a note um, of um, maybe this is the <laughs> the cynic in me or the the old man. Um, just I suppose like modern technology and maybe kind of the, the need to get online and accessibility and things like that. I know we rely on on you know getting online and looking on a website and and. You know, I've had kind of buyers say to me that they spend a lot more time engaging on social media and, and things like that about finding someone to approach and to have a conversation with. But I just, I just want people to really understand the power and, and um, I suppose, the authority that a, a gathering for three days, i.e., a trade show, an exhibition, can really warrant and can really generate. So for me, I look at it as a challenge, but again, it's an opportunity. You know, we're aware of, of what we need to overcome and what we need to improve on. But I just want people to always recognise, and again, it's it's our job to, to, to always ensure this, but I want them to recognise how great these days can be for many, many reasons, whether it's whether it's to help with, with trade and, and, and business relationships and educational perspectives and all, all, all the above. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's one of the challenges I'm um, wary of. And it's definitely the more and more evidence coming through saying people are looking for face-to-face -face experiences to complement their digital presence. You know, nobody's saying people are moving offline completely, but actually they may be seeking more of a balance than we have done in the past. So long, long live exhibition. Um, so if you guys could inspire one change in the industry, what would that be? Okay, um, mine is gonna be around sustainability. Um, I think exhibitions are seen to be very wasteful and to some extent they absolutely are. Um, you know, you kind of build all of this and then tear it down for after three days, four days, and it's it can seem incredibly wasteful. What I would say is, um, saying that if you use something like the standard shell scheme solutions that we use, those are used, you know, hundreds of times for hundreds of exhibitions. So at least we know they're being reused and reused. The one thing I have an issue with is carpet. <laughs> <laughs> we. Every venue we hire has no carpet and we put in the carpet to suit our brands to make the show look finished and beautiful. But really, is it worthwhile laying down carpet for a three-day show simply to be ripped up and then thrown away? I say thrown away. It is recycled and we do always buy recyclable carpet. But what if we just didn't have carpet? I'm not going to lie. Venue floors are not the prettiest floors. They're a little bit ugly. But we're only going to walk on it. So do we really care? That's a... Uh, that's my one. <laughs> I agree with all that. Um, and I think I'd also like to throw in throw in um, us all maybe having a bigger positive contribution towards or within an environmental or like a, a charitable context even as well. Um, I think one thing at Speciality, we work with City Harvest and I made a note of this staff actually. Um, our exhibitors during the show this year donated um, 2.6 tonnes um, i.e. over 6,000 meals to hand back to City Harvest to, again, put out put out for good use. And I think that's that's massive. And that's it's a lovely, lovely thing to, to be a part of and, and, and to understand. So, And that was that's just us. So who else can have a positive impact within a charitable context? So that's something I'd really like to, to, to see um, moving forward. Yeah, hugely positive impacts on the local community. And that's the bit that I think maybe as an industry, we don't PR enough and um, strongly enough about all the good stuff we're doing. And, you know, just in terms of education, how much time do we give to graduates or interns or people looking for work experience to come and get those live experiences to complement their studies? You know, that's giving back. There's, there's a lot of really good things that we do in the industry that we perhaps don't share back. So, um, so thank you both so much for your time today. It has been brilliant talking to you. I am going to um, finish by saying of course when I ask you this question you will both go well it's Speciality Fine Food or one of your own shows but excluding your own shows which are of course the best ones to work on if you could work or visit any show anywhere in the world which one would it be? Okay well I'm going to say the BBB event I visited in Maastricht this week because I feel like they're really doing something unique and special and it was it was so refreshing that it just sort of made me open my eyes. I felt very inspired. So I think it's going to be BBB Maastricht. Um, I'm actually, I'm not going to choose one particular show. 
Um, if I if I had to answer this question, which I am, of course, um, I, I would like to say I'd probably choose an industry or a subject that, that I really have a passion for, like something like travel, expedition, or photography, or maybe even a blend of all three. So that that would really um, excite and interest me. Um, and if I had to choose a destination, I'd probably go somewhere in South America because I haven't yet been. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And there is a show for absolutely everything. We even have an exhibition show for people in the exhibition industry, don't we? So, you know, whatever you're interested in, I'm sure there's a, an exhibition out there for you. Um, so thank you exactly. so much, guys. We will um, publish um, Soraya and Jamie's details alongside the podcast when it goes out. So if you want to get in touch um, with either of them um, regarding any of the shows that they run, if you're working in food, drink, hospitality space, um, they are fantastic shows. They put a brilliant spotlight on the industry. Um, and just great events for bringing people together. So thank you so much for your time today, both of you. Thanks very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much indeed. And good luck with your next shows. Thank you. So thank you to Soraya and Jamie for their time there. And hopefully that gave you some insight into how event teams work together to try and help you as an exhibitor deliver your objectives at a show. So coming up in the next episode of the Exhibitionist podcast, we are featuring a conversation with Adam Parry, who is a director at Event Tech Live. And yes, even the trade show industry has trade shows. So this one is all about what's new on the market to help organizers and exhibitors use tech more effectively in their trade shows and their marketing campaigns to make sure that we're delivering exactly what visitors want. So great conversation with Adam coming up in a couple of weeks. And you'll also find out why it might be important to invest in some national mourning insurance just in case the Queen were to pass away during your event. Now, if that's not intrigued you to listen into the next episode, I don't know what will. As always, you can get in touch with us the usual ways by hopping over to the website at www.inspiringexhibitors.com. We also have a new product for you, which we're just launching, which is the Exhibitionist Project Manager Journal. Now, this is a great A4 folder with over 100 pages of content, but it's got trackers around budgeting, operations, content for follow-up, picking your squad, your stand rules, all the tools, the practical tools that you need to deliver a really brilliant trade show, all in one handy A4 file that you can stuff all your other documents and floor plans and insurance and health and safety and everything else into so you've got everything in one place ready to go to your show. Brilliant to be used in conjunction with the Exhibitionist book. So order both on the website now and we will make a donation to the National Literacy Trust. So that's the Exhibitionist Project Manager Journal over at www.inspiringexhibitors.com. Don't forget to keep feeding back to us all your brilliant stories and successes from the shows and events that you've been at. We love hearing about what's gone well and we look forward to you joining us for the next episode. Happy exhibitioning. Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insights. While there, you can also find out more about our new book, The Exhibitionist, Inspiring Trade Show Excellence. Once again, thank you for listening.